Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wisdom of Friends podcast. Thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. This is a podcast where you get to learn more about your friends and community, their wisdom, their trials and tribulations, timeless insights and their secrets. Now, let's get into the show. Please welcome your host, Cal Aras. Hello, folks. Uh, welcome to another episode of uh, Wisdom of Friends uh, podcast. Today, I'm really excited to uh, interview uh, a gentleman by the name of Randy Stimson. He has a very fascinating background. In this episode, we talk about uh, the impact of social culture, like movies and music, on our identity, uh, the importance of belief in achieving our goals. And uh, stand, taking a stand for social causes like peace and justice. Now, Randy's got a very fascinating background. Uh, he was born to a very young parents. They married and divorced before he could remember. At the age of 12, Randy was reintroduced to his father who communicated to him the Mexican work ethic and the value of extended family. Randy's mother was alcoholic and bipolar, but also very altruistic and liberal with love, acceptance and forgiveness. At the age of 14, Randy, though raised in a non-religious home, converted to Christianity. And by the time he finished high school, wanted to become a minister, but was strongly pulled to be a math professor. Early in college, he had to choose, and he chose math, which later led him to computer science. After graduating from the University of Washington with a master's degree in applied math and computer science, Randy began his career as a software engineer. More significantly, though, Randy focused on applying his Christian faith to issues of justice. He also served as a World Concern Alpha Group member, sponsored refugees from uh, Eritrea and Poland, and served as bread for the World Second District Coordinator for the state of Washington. In his mid-30s, Randy shared his Christianity, but not his belief in God, and his pursuit of justice. His favorite strategy, when asked, is to make friends, because friendship leads to empathy and understanding, which in turn leads to peace and justice. So ladies and gentlemen, let's introduce the one and only Randy Stimson. Well, good evening, uh, Randy. Uh, welcome to the Wisdom of the Friends show. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show. And let me start off by saying it was such an incredible opportunity to have met you during the Toastmasters meetings in Kirkland Eclectics. That's where I first met you. And what stood out for me about uh, your presence in that meeting was your evaluations of all the upcoming speakers. What I noticed was you were a very keen listener uh, and you offered some really uh, methodical, practical uh, improvement tips to the speakers that they could apply to their speeches and become better communicators. And I knew after learning a little bit more about your background and having met your wife, Roxy Stimson, that you guys are really uh, uh, quite an accomplished couple and doing a lot of amazing things in the community. And I knew we need to have you on the show so uh, welcome to the Wisdom of Friends show, Randy. Thank you, Cal. And it's been uh, a great pleasure being part of the Kirkland Eclectics Toastmasters Club. And Toastmasters is a great place to meet great people. 
Excellent. Thank you for saying that. And uh, one of the ways we start off our show is uh, by asking our guest, what's your favorite quote or philosophy that you live by and how have you applied it to your life? My favorite quote is by a Quaker missionary. And Quakers call themselves friends. Hmm. And think about that whenever you read one of my emails, which uh, ends with your, your friend. friend Randy. Yes. yes. <laughs> and I'm going to modify his quote just a little bit. It begins with, I shall pass through this life but once. The modification is, I shall pass through this moment but once. Any good, therefore, that I can do, or any kindness that I can show, let me do it now. Let me not defer, nor neglect it, for I shall never pass this way again. Oh, that's such a beautiful quote. And how did you come about or come across this uh, Quaker philosophy? And was there a particular moment in your life that uh, fascinated you about friendship and uh, that became uh, your guiding philosophy, if you will? Well, early in my life, I was a, I was a Christian. And as a Christian, I studied a lot of the different Christian sects. Include, I was a Pentecostal, but I, I studied uh, Catholicism, liberation theology, and I was very anti-war in my beliefs, and also in favor of eliminating oppression and hunger in the world, and that led me to Quaker thinking. There's not many Quakers around, so I couldn't exactly go out and join a Quaker church but a lot of the, the thoughts coming from the Quakers do resonate with me, including this one quote. But also for in inspiration, I tend to listen to quotes. Quotes by Gandhi, Martin Luther King, Confucius. I think it's, it's inspiring to listen to those quotes and to pick out quotes that mean something to you. But this one is the one that means the most to me. There's a lot of others near the top, but this one the most. That's amazing. And I also know that you are a fan of music and movies. Uh, could you tell us about your favorite song and a favorite movie that's had a big influence on your life and the way uh, you live your uh, values today? Sure. My favorite artist is actually unheard of. His name is Ken Mutima. I'm not going to talk about him just because nobody knows who he is and what his songs are. But... Looking back at my life, when I was preteen, I was hearing about the Vietnam War, and I was very concerned about being drafted when I turned 18. I didn't want that to happen. And I heard the song by Edwin Starr, War. And what he has to say still means a lot to me. And I think it's basically none of the business of God's children to be involved in war. It's what sinners do, not what God's children do. Mm. One of my favorite movies is kind of a strange one. It's called Lars and the Real Girl. And this movie is about 
a young man who lost his mother. She died in childbirth, and it was traumatic for him, and it, it affected his whole life. He had a, a great lack of confidence and no people skills. And his brother gets married, and his wife becomes pregnant. And this triggers a psychotic episode in Lars. Hmm. And he goes out and buys one of those sex dolls. And somehow comes to believe that she is a real person. Hmm. Interesting. And a missionary. Wow. And a virgin. <laughs> wow. And so he brings her over to introduce him, her to his brother. And then, you know, proceeds to introduce her to the members of his church. Mm. And his therapist explains to his brother and also to other members of the community, it's a small community centered around this church, that he's going through a psychotic episode and he needs help. Mm. And to just go along with it. And so nobody tries to convince him that he's wrong. They just go along with it and wait for him to be healed. Oh, wow. And in the end, he is. Well, that's amazing. So is this uh, the movie with Ryan Gosling called Lars and the Real Girl? Yes. Okay. It's a movie that will make you laugh and cry. That's, uh, thank you for that suggestion. And we'll put this in the show notes uh, for our audience to uh, uh, find out more about it. Now, one of the questions uh, that I'm curious about you, Randy, is uh, your childhood years. What did your parents do and uh, how did that shape your life? Well, as you know, my my real parents were teenagers and I ended up growing with, up with my mom. And being a teenager, she did the best she could, but... When we become parents, usually we don't know what we're doing. And teenagers especially do not know what they're doing. My stepfather, who for the longest time I thought was my real father, and he adopted me, and because of that, my last name is Stimson. He was kind of a cold person, but he did do one thing that really impacted my life. Mm. And he taught me arithmetic. He was an accountant. And then after he taught me arithmetic... He would put stacks of numbers in front of me. I was four years old, and whenever a company came over, he would have me add up those numbers in front of company and show me off. Hmm. And I came to believe that I was really smart in math. Wow. And when you believe that you're, you can do something, you do it. That's an incredible story. Hmm. I mean, uh, what fascinates me about that particular sharing of you is that Oftentimes, we end up finding our passion by these unknown events and incidents in our lives. And it seems like math played a big part in your career. Could you talk a little bit more about your uh, pursuit of uh, arithmetic and math as you went about uh, schooling? And Sure. Generally speaking, I do think I did waste a lot of time in the pursuit of math. I learned things that probably maybe only one out of 10,000 people know. And most of what you need to know about math, you learn by the time you're in the eighth grade. Fractions, 
percentages. If you learn those things really well, it's going to help you out in life quite a bit. Mm. The thing about math, though, is that I felt like it was weightlifting. What I really, my career ended up being a software engineer. And so I could kind of compare that to playing football. But math is like weightlifting. And so, you know, if weightlifting helps you to be a great football player, it's part of the equation. Math helped me to become a great software engineer because it exercised my mind and made it strong. That is uh, incredible. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Taking a step back, when you look back at your life and uh, what would you say were one or two biggest challenges you faced in your life and how did you overcome that? And, And by what I mean by that is what were some of the lessons that you gained from those experiences that helped you navigate life going forward? One of the peculiar things about me is having a math brain. I didn't have a lot of communication skills or people skills. And I've had to work really hard to try to get those into my life. And I did have a lot of great teachers when I was in high school looking out for me. Some people can't look at their back at their high school education and they're disappointed with it. But for me, I had a lot of great teachers. And one of those teachers helped me overcome the fear of public speaking. Well, that's not quite true. He didn't help me overcome the fear because I still had the fear when I finished high school. But he made a, he basically presented a, a challenge to me. But when you're in high school, the class that everybody hates to take is Washington State History. <laughs> and teachers hate to teach that class because their students hate to take it, (laughs) you know. And this teacher told me that at the end of the year, we were going to ask him for what our grade should be, and he was going to give it to us. And our assignments were that we had to do three written reports and three oral reports. I did the three written reports, got A's, refused to do the oral reports, I was afraid to get up in front of class. I wasn't going to do it. When he came around and asked me what I thought my grade was, I told him an A. He tried to talk me down to a B. And we went on for 20 minutes, but I wouldn't take it. I said, I want an A. It's not fair for you to ask me to get in front of these people and talk. I want an A. And I can imagine that he went back to the teacher's lounge and thought, what am I going to do with Randy? Randy. When I gave him that A, or should I give him a B? In the end, he gave me the A. Wow. And I turned out having a pretty good report card between math, PE, and Washington State history. I had three A's, and I had two B's. That is And uh, so um, here's how this really impacted my life. Mm. I had very long hair down to my shoulders, Mm. and most of my friends' parents hated me. They discriminated against me because of my long hair. Mm. And my friend brought home a really bad report card. Mm. And his mother then looks at me and says, in a very sarcastic voice, well, what did you get on your report card? And I said, 
3.6. And I was stunned by her reaction. It completely changed her opinion of me. It was the second impression. Mm. Okay. And that second impression made me think that from now on, I'm going to be a smart person. <laughs> I'm going to get good, 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 good grades. And that kind of leads to Toastmasters in a way, too, because even though I ended up taking a speech class to overcome that fear, hmm. I was coaxed by other teachers in the school to do that. I never overcame this fear, but I got to the point where I could speak in public. Toastmasters, though, has helped me get past the fear of public speaking. That is just uh, incredible. And, and what I, when just hearing you say that is a couple of things comes to mind. One is you, you seem to have that negotiation skills right at that young age. And I'm sure, you know, when the teacher said she can give you an A and you stood your ground and finally convinced uh, the teacher to give you an A, I mean, that speaks volumes about that young kid that they believed that you believed in yourself. And that probably helped you a lot when you grew up in life and did all your negotiations in different areas of your life. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the transformation from uh, feeling below average to turning into a smart kid, that moment, I think that's an incredible uh, story. So thank you for sharing that. Now, talking about teachers and favorite teachers, were there any uh, people that you idolized growing up? Or in other words, who were your mentors? Uh, and what fascinated you about them? I can't say that I had a lot of mentors growing up. <clears throat> I did idolize one person, though. And um, that was my Uncle Roger. He was... A college professor. He spoke six or seven languages fluently and a little bit of a lot of other languages. And one of my most terrifying memories of life was <clears throat> I was about 12 years old. I was at his house, swimming pool. Mm-hmm. And his house was a, a big house, which he shared with a lot of people, still shares his house. And he had a lot of college students coming over there. And I was in the pool. Next thing I know, he runs out naked, jumps in the pool. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then all of the college students start coming over, jumping in the pool naked. Huh. I'm thinking, oh, man, do I have to take off my clothes? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I, I never did, but... Um, It's just that, you know, somebody with freedom. Mm. Um, I admired that part about him. Not that I want to mimic him in that part, but I I admired that part about him and his freedom. But he also had a great concern for social justice Mm. at the same time. And so just the, the intelligence and the concern for social justice. He was also an atheist. And I would say that... As an atheist, he's a better Christian than most Christians that I've met. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Now, do you, would you say that uh, Uncle Roger's influence on you uh, perhaps shaped uh, your commitment to issues of justice? Because I know you were actively involved with 
uh, some of the movements of justice? I would say uh, not necessarily, mm-hmm. no. I would say that 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 influence came from my Christian thinking mm. uh, from Jesus. Mm. And I would say thinking of the parable of, um, of the sheep and goats, for example, mm. I was hungry and you fed me. Mm. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. Mm. I was in jail. You came to visit me. Mm. That kind of thing. Mm. You know, so I would say it was uh, Christianity that pushed me toward thinking about social justice. One of the things you mentioned in your bio, Randy, is that in your mid-30s, you shed your Christianity uh, association, and uh, but not your belief in God um, and your pursuit of justice. How did that come about? Would you like to share that? And It started right after I became a Christian, in a, in a sense, because... I, at 16, I decided to read the whole Bible. Mm. And when I read the words of Jesus, they resonated with my core values Mm. against war. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Mm. If somebody strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other. Mm. Okay. And so those values resonated with me and led to my conversion to Christianity. But when I read the Old Testament... And I read about God supposedly commanding the Israelites to kill every man, woman, and child in Canaan. That raised a big question in my mind. And so even I had some religious experiences that kept me away from departing from the faith at that particular time. But it was a growing concern in my mind that got bigger and bigger. Mm. But the thing that I would say pushed me over the edge happened when... Shortly after I got out of college, I saw a movie by about Gandhi, and I saw the parallels between Gandhi and Jesus. Mm. The crowds following Gandhi around, his concern for justice. And I thought to myself, this person doesn't believe the same things that I do, but he's a better person than any Christian I've ever met. Mm. How could a person like that be going to hell? Mm. And so I began to think that God is not really concerned so much about what you believe. What you do is what matters. Mm. And I think that's really important in life to to remember, too. We have a lot of social justice warriors pointing fingers at people that don't believe in global warming. Mm. What really matters, though, is what those people do, you know, and what the finger pointers do. Their energy footprint, that's what matters. But that that's what gave me the hardest push toward shedding my Christianity is the belief that I would not be punished if I believed the wrong thing. It didn't matter as much. Mm. Let's, you mentioned about Gandhi and... <clears throat> Uh, being from India, I had a strong influence of Gandhi's. And uh, I did have an opportunity in 2014 uh, to visit Gandhi's ashram or the place where he lived. Mm-hmm. And it's such a fascinating uh, biography that he's left behind. Yes. 
And one of the philosophies that resonates with me is, uh, you know, be the change you want to see in the world. And that's uh, one of our mission statements with a global contribution initiative that uh, this organization that we are building as part of, you know, doing, helping out the artists and uh, the musicians in the community and partnering up with nonprofits and doing fundraising for them and things of that nature. Um, and, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's had a tremendous influence, uh, not only uh, in India, but all over the globe. And uh, Yes, he has. It's it's really uh, uh, incredible that you uh, mention him. Now, what I really like about Gandhi was his philosophy of nonviolent resistance. When people think of Gandhi, they mistakenly think of pacifism. Mm. He was not a pacifist mm. because pacifist doesn't resist. Mm. Gandhi <laughs> did that. He was a resistor, yes. a nonviolent resistor, and he had. He influenced Martin Luther King yes. and many other people. Yes. Uh, he absolutely uh, did. And, uh, I mean, his influence is still pretty active, even in today's day and age. Uh, mm-hmm. And lots lots to learn uh, from him and his philosophy uh, from a great man. How would you, having experienced uh, this incredible uh, ebb and flow of life and uh, the journey that you've been on so far... What would you, how would you define, what's your definition of success? And how would you define greatness? I think the definition of success varies for a lot of people. But I would definitely separate it from material wealth. I think people that have too much wealth should be a little bit embarrassed, actually. But when I think of success, first of all, I think of the last poem that Raymond Carver wrote Mm. just before he died. And this poem is very short, and it's like God talking Mm. to him, saying, And did did you get what you wanted from life, even so? I did. And what did you want? To call myself Beloved. To feel myself beloved on earth. And so I would think that that is the ultimate success. Mm. And of course, to be beloved, the path toward that position in life is kindness. Mm. And to show love to other people. Mm. That is the truest success that you can have. And of course, we can talk about other minor successes One of them being perhaps liking yourself, liking what you do and doing it well. That Mm. I I would also call success. Mm. It's a smaller success. Not as big as the other one, Mm. but still a success. And any thoughts on greatness? Sure. My, My thought from greatness comes from Jesus, who said... Whoever is the greatest among you will be the servant of all. People Mm. who think they are great want other people to serve them. Mm. But Jesus was great by serving other people. Yes. And uh, that is, uh, I believe, is the servant leadership model that uh, is often taught in some of the top schools as well. 
I had the opportunity to do my executive management program at the University of Notre Dame, and I had uh, the privilege of uh, rubbing shoulders with some of the top executives while mm-hmm. I was in the program. Yes. And one of the things that I took away from that experience was a lot of people uh, who were constantly looking at developing themselves and learning and growing their skills, mm-hmm. they often referenced this exact philosophy that you talked about, about being a servant, being uh, a giver or being a guide or a mentor or a coach uh, for their employees. And mm-hmm. and I think that's, that's definitely had a big, profound impact uh, as part of my education as well. Uh, so that's great. Uh, any uh, favorite places that you've traveled to or... Uh, your life and any uh, places you would like to recommend and what's your favorite uh, uh, destination like do you like to go to to take your time off it's hard to pick I've never traveled outside the country I have traveled quite a bit in the United States Mm -hmm. and of course my favorite place is right here in Seattle Washington Mm. in the summertime Mm. right in the wintertime though it can get kind of Dismal, too much gray. Yes. And so that's when I like to take vacation. And I will go looking for sunshine, basically. I do enjoy Santa Monica because of the walk along the beach. You mm-hmm. can walk along Venice Beach, watch the crazy people there entertaining the, the, the tourists. And I have a chess playing group down there on the beach. I love to play chess. So I'm basically combining something that I love to do playing chess with something else that I love to do, which is just to be outside. Mm. It's a very simple pleasure to be outside. Santa Monica is not my my favorite place, though. One that would be close to the top, if not at the top, would be Arches National Park. I go to a lot of national parks when, when I'm on vacation. My favorite hike there is Devil's Garden. Hmm. It's relatively flat. Probably it's a six-mile one-way journey, maybe 300 feet of elevation gain up and down. But unlike other hikes, which have a great view at the destination, every corner that you turn along this hike is something else beautiful to look at. So I love I love. Arches National Park. One more place that I really love a lot is Central Park. Mm. It's a huge park. You can spend a week there uh, going to the different parts of the park, enjoying the sunshine. And so I would would highly recommend Manhattan and in Manhattan, especially Central Park. Yes. Uh, it's one of my favorite places as well <clears throat> when I'm in New York. If you're coming to Seattle, though, I would recommend Green Lake. Yes. doesn't cost any money. <laughs> and so if you read all the tourist brochures, nobody's talking to, about Green Lake because they can't make any money off you walking around Green Lake. But for me in Seattle, Green Lake is my favorite place. It is a beautiful uh, park and uh um, it's a great walk because I think it's what three point five miles, like with the full yes. uh, circle or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love I love that uh, lake, and it's uh, one of my favorite things to do on a Saturday morning when the sun's out. And yes, uh, 
and you know, get a Starbucks coffee right around the corner. And mm-hmm. yes, I know exactly what you say. Uh, moving on to, let's. I uh, would like to uh, switch gears here, Randy, and I uh, would like to ask you about some uh, wisdom questions so that we could share it with our audience here. Okay. What do you think stops people from achieving their fullest potential? I would say it's two things. Mm-hmm. Number one, blame. Mm. When you blame other people for your lack of success. Now, when it comes to a lack of success, there's two factors, really. There is outside factors, which can contribute to your lack of success. And there's yourself. You can't change those outside factors. What you can change is yourself. And so if you fixate on the outside factors that are blocking you from success, you never will be. But if you be proactive and concentrate on changing yourself, you can become successful. And the second thing is you have to believe that you can be successful. If you don't believe it, you won't be. The person who believes they can and the person that believes they can't are often both right. Yes, Henry Ford. <clears throat> and any... Uh, so That was probably Henry Ford quoting Confucius. <laughs> <laughs> could be, could yeah. be. It's, uh, it's been around for such a long time. It's uh, hard to... Uh, both Jesus and Gandhi quoted him, so... Yes, it's uh, hard to credit uh, the original mm. source on that one. Uh, it's yeah. really a popular one with uh, a lot of people... Uh, talking about beliefs, and this is, I'm really curious because I, I know what you're saying about beliefs and it plays such a significant part in how we shape our destiny if we mm-hmm. uh, choose to uh, implement our goals and vision and take actions around it. How would you say that somebody could go about strengthening their belief in whatever they're trying to accomplish? Uh, whether any particular ways that you found for yourself that's helped you? To strengthen their belief in self? Yes. <clears throat> I haven't really thought about that. I don't know the answer to that question, how to strengthen your belief in self. I guess it would come down to trying to do, to, to try and do things that you have never done before. Mm. Okay. Because when, whenever you do something that you've never done before, you build your confidence. And when you build your confidence, you build your belief. And that is actually one of the things that I work on with my grandkids is to teach them something new every day, no mm-hmm. matter how small it is. It could be how to hard-boil eggs. They've mm-hmm. never done it before. They learn how to hard-boiled eggs. It's one more thing that they've learned, and they know they gain some confidence. The other day, I, I took one of my granddaughters to recycle some cardboard she'd never done that before she learned something new but i think it's just trying something new and succeeding that is also another reason why i love toastmasters because there's always something new to try it's not just about making speeches but about taking all the other leadership roles that you've don't think you can do But each time you take one on, it gives you more confidence to succeed. Yes. Excuse me, and I like that because 
it goes back to that uh, concept of success breeds confidence and confidence breeds success. And it's kind of becomes a virtuous cycle mm-hmm. and that allows you to pursue your goal, pursue your goals and uh, really take on challenges that stretches you yes. into, outside of your comfort zone. So mm-hmm. that's great. Uh, what would you say is some of the best books that you've read and uh, some of the workshops or seminars you've attended over the years? Any particular ones you would like to recommend? Yes. Of course, I would recommend Seven Habits of Highly Affected People by Stephen Covey. I'd recommend Emotional Intelligence uh, I don't recall the author's name on that one. I believe it's uh, Daniel uh, Goldman, I think. Okay, uh, I think think you're right, yes. Now, there's a lot of books on health out there, and there's a lot of misinformation out there on, on health and on the Internet. So, trying to remember the author's name, but the, the name of the book is Eat to Live. Mm. <clears throat> Written by... Uh, <clears throat> his last name begins with F. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I would recommend that that book. Another book that I would recommend is The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying. Mm. Is it a Japanese author? Uh, yes, Marie Kondo. Yes, Marie Kondo. Uh, yeah, I've, uh, it's on my on my reading list, and I'm yet to get to it. But I've heard some amazing reviews about it. Going back to your uh, previous uh, recommendation, the Emotional Intelligence book is uh, written by Daniel Goldman, yes. and Eat to Live is uh, written by Dr. Furman. Yes. Okay. Excellent. Uh, and so here's an interesting question, and this is a hypothetical, Randy, and I would like you to consider that if you could go back in time mm-hmm. and talk to your 20-year-old, what advice would you give the young Randy? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't uh, give him any advice, actually, because what... My my twenty year old self really knew what they were doing, mm. and sometimes there's been times in my life when I need that twenty year old person to tell me to straighten up <laughs> and get back on the right path, you know. And so, <clears throat> yeah, I wouldn't tell him nothing. And you know, my mother wouldn't tell him nothing either. My mom was afraid to give me advice because she was afraid I might take it. <laughs> That's uh... Mal, now. My 35-year-old self, that's a different story. Mm. I, would, I would tell him something very simple, really. Mm. Stop going out to eat at restaurants so much, you're going to eat your retirement up. <laughs> yeah, that's very simple advice. Don't do that. <laughs> not to mention that the food is not great for you. And I, I, I spent too much time eating out. Um, from about 35 to 55. Mm. I'm changing my ways now in that regard. Mm. Now, this is our next uh, section of our interview. This is called the Rapid Fire Round. And these are sort of fun questions I'm going to ask you. And you have uh, 
uh, you know, it, it's the first response that comes to your mind. Obviously, if you if you feel compelled to expand on it, uh, please mm-hmm. feel free to do so. But it's uh, again, it's the rapid fire round. And Randy, are you ready for the rapid fire round? Definitely. All right, let's start off with the first question I have for you, Randy. Is what rock star has impressed you, and why? A rock star that has impressed me. Past, present, future. I guess I, I mentioned Edwin Starr. Hmm. And even though I, I listen to a lot of music, enjoy a lot of music, I don't necessarily pay attention to, to their names. But Edwin Starr with his movie War is one of the, one of the songs that uh, is in, has impressed me. There's another one. It might have been by the Beatles. Oh, I can't think of the name right now, but I'm not great on popular culture. Okay. Fair enough. Whose brain would you like to pick? My wife's brain. <laughs> I'd like to know what's going on in there. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, if you could be successful in another profession, which would you choose and why? There's a lot of things that I'm interested in, but I think it would probably be genetics research. Hmm. And, and the reason why is genetics is a lot like software, which is what I'm in, into. Genetics is, is the software of life. And just untangling that mystery mm-hmm. and seeing how we can improve health by untangling that mystery... I'm really not into this idea of sending spaceships to outer space to do things. And now they're talking about figuring out how to shoot down asteroids. I think it's that's kind of like these big companies trying to suck money out of taxpayers. But using science to uncover the genetic code, to detangle that, I'd love to do that. Mm. I understand your uh, mother was an artist. Uh, what would you say is the greatest work of art, in your opinion? That she did? hmm She did a lot of great stuff. My favorite picture by her is Angel Wing, which I have over my bed. But it's not the favorite of my extended family. Almost everybody else in my extended family would tell you that uh, a three-panel painting that she did called Flight to Heaven mm-hmm. is the one that she she did the best on, which is basically uh, a picture of flowers. In the middle, mm-hmm. there's a white rose. Mm-hmm. On the left-hand side, there's some buds and some smaller flowers, six of them representing her children. And on the right-hand side, there's a flower that's all wilted up but ready to die. And its petals have formed into wings. Mm. And you can see stars in the sky in the background. And it's getting ready to fly off. Wow. That's Mm -hmm. an incredible uh, description. And one final question for you from the rapid fire round. And it is, if you could have any message of your choice on a billboard, what would that be? Any message on a billboard. It would be... If it was just two words, it would be to make friends. Mm. I think it's very important. Making friends 
overcomes bigotry mm. in many ways. Mm. Make friends. Mm. Making friends helps you to empathize and understand other people. Mm. And when you empathize and understand other people, it's it acts as a feedback loop. Right? Yes. And absolutely. you become greater friends. But also friendship which leads to empathy and understanding in turn leads to peace and justice. So on the on the billboard in big letters make friends. Make friends. In I smaller like that. letters the rest. <laughs> no, that's uh, like that very much. Uh, this is our final uh, section of our interview, and I got uh, a few uh, last uh, two or three questions for you. Uh, what is your current personal passion project? And uh, what I mean by that is, what are you looking forward to in the next six months, and what are you working on? And I did make a commitment earlier in life to not make things that kill people. But in, I would like to use my profession to do something positive. Make something that really helps people. And I did that in a small way when I wrote the Android app, Vitamin D30. Mm-hmm. I'd like to go beyond that. But looking toward retirement, I'm really looking forward to being a professional grandfather. When I became a father, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> But now I now that I know more, I want to practice on my grandkids. Mm. Yeah, amazing. Uh, three things you're grateful for in life today. Well, number one, it would have to be my wife. Most you know my wife. Mm-hmm. You know she's pretty good looking. Yes. <laughs> but really, on the inside, she's a more beautiful person than. She is on the outside. Yes. And I have never heard her say something negative about other people. Mm. And she talks about other people like they're superstars. And when I when I first met her, this made me jealous. But I'm grateful that she never talks. I know for sure that she never says anything bad about me and that she talks about me like I'm a superstar. Mm. So number one, it has to be a wife. Mm. But... Number two, my children. Mm. Um, they mean a lot to me. Mm. Yes. And I, number three. How many I, children do you have? I have four children, mm-hmm. two sons and two daughters. And so it's my children and my grandchildren, really. And uh, so it would be, uh, I'm grateful to have them in my life. And thirdly, I'd say I'm grateful to be living in the Pacific Northwest. I love this place. Excellent. Uh, so, Randy, I would like to acknowledge you for taking the time today to be uh, on this call and really sharing about your life journey, some of the insights and uh, wisdom that you've gained over the years. And uh, I really want to thank you in particular for giving us the belief that anything is possible if you put your mind to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, The transformation that you've had in your own life uh, is really an inspiration for us uh, to take on social causes like justice and and having a strong faith 
I think that really enables us as individuals to go after our dreams and goals. And just listening to you today has strengthened my belief, and I really would like to thank you for that. And and then your love of your family and your grandchildren is so inspiring. Mm -hmm. And I really... uh, uh, you know, it's one of that. Those are some of the values that I can see uh, you've been living by all your life, and it's mm-hmm. uh, reflected in the way uh, you connect with everyone. Mm-hmm. And for you, I, if I can speak, I would. Uh, one of the observations I've had of you is that you treat uh, friends as well as family and extended family, and that's something that uh, I personally uh, look up to, and uh, even in Toastmasters meetings Thank and you. everywhere. So thank you for that. Uh, why do you think people should listen? And this is our final question is, why do you think people should listen to uh, Wisdom of Friends? Wisdom of Friends? <clears throat> Bill Nye might have said it this way. Every person you meet knows something that you don't know. You don't know what you're going to learn from Another friend. Mm. That's the, that's the I would say is the biggest reason why. Mm. That's uh, beautiful. Uh, anything else you uh, that I may not have asked, and would you like to share uh, as a final parting thought or to our audiences? Nothing else except for to thank you for having me on the show, and I hope you have a great success with it. Thank you, and I appreciate that. Thank you for the feedback. Uh, so again, now uh, once more, uh, this is uh, this has been a fascinating interview as I expected it to be, and uh, thank you again for your time and candid answers. Uh, appreciated our conversation, and for those of us listening, with that, uh, we'll wrap it up. Until next time, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Wisdom of Friends show with Cal Aras. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll pass along our web address, theglobalcontribution.com. To your friends and colleagues, be sure to check out our archive section on our website for previous episodes. This has been a Seven Symphonies production. Join us next time for another edition of the Wisdom of Friends.